Libs want criminal justice deform. Portland is under siege. Mask mandate mania. And why are there $1 Cuomo chips? This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. It is Friday. We have so much to talk about before you go about the rest of your weekend and put another another one down in the books for this era of pandemic in which we're all just muddling through, it seems. But we're doing it together. We're having some fun, at least here in the Freedom Hut as as things go along Uh, these days. Any place called the Freedom Hut sounds like it's going to be considered an, an enemy of the state by the lockdown libs. They've increasingly lost their minds i wanted to start with where we are on on criminal justice issues uh, because i i do think that's where we're starting to see a there, there's a reason that the democrat media is focusing entirely on covid or i should say overwhelmingly on covid at the uh, expense of what about the movement remember now, now you might say but COVID's so much more important than criminal justice reform um, well, yeah, that, that that's true, but it wasn't true a few weeks ago, according to the media. Why is that? And I would argue it's because the American people are starting to see what the movement, what BLM is really all about. As I've been telling you, BLM has made everything worse for everyone in the last two and a half months or so. Nothing has improved. Nothing is better. And increasingly, we have to look to who should be held responsible for this. And I would argue with the Democrat Party, I would argue that Joe Biden and all the elected Democrats and the mainstream media should be held accountable for this. The only way that happens is if Biden loses and the Democrats lose, particularly lose control of the House. That would be great this fall. So we need to look at what's actually going on right now. And, and I yesterday played for you that audio, which now it, it, after this show, I will say I saw it up on Fox News and it, it got a lot of. It got a lot of play, which is great. See, unlike some people, I actually want the most important messages for the benefit of the country to get out there. And I want my fellow conservatives and the biggest websites and the biggest names out there to be talking about the issues that we do here. I I just, you know, like to note that it's something that we've talked about and now it has gone all over the place. You had uh, that officer Jackson out in Portland. We were talking more about Portland today, who just said, look, some of these white protesters who show up at these at these protests, these riots, whatever you want to call them, say explicitly racist things to black cops. And there are white female protesters in particular who try to separate out black cops from being able to talk to black protesters as if. That's their role or they're staying in their lane with that. It's completely and utterly ridiculous. Well, why is this happening? Who's allowing this to happen? You know, I've spent a lot of time on the show talking to you about the rioters, what they're up to, whether it's BLM looting or Antifa, uh, you know, attacking statues, whatever it may be. 
Those are the shock troops. Who are the generals of the movement? Who are the people that are really uh, giving ideological cover to this and suggesting that somehow this benefits us as cities get less safe and as things get worse in many places across the country? Who? Who? You may have heard of a professor at Brown University named Glenn Lowry, and he is in the in the unique position these days of being a tenured professor at an Ivy League university who is a black man who says things that you are currently as somebody who is in all of those different uh, in different categories currently not allowed to say. If you had. For example, you know, I've brought this up before. If you were talking, if you were talking to the public and saying that you are doing a lot for public health. You may recall um, that there was an episode of The Office. No, actually, I'll I'll stay away from that one. Um, If you were talking a lot about public health and you said that you were raising millions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars for research into the hantavirus. As I've told you before, hantavirus can be lethal, and it's it's a very bad thing if you get it. It's also very, very rare. About CDC says close to maybe anywhere from half a dozen to a dozen cases a year. And if you were having marches in the streets for public health, claiming that you wanted to deal with the hantavirus, and then the moment somebody brought up, oh, I don't know, cancer or heart disease or something that kills a whole lot of people, Yeah, you're allowed to be concerned about the hantavirus, but why aren't you concerned about this other thing that is so much bigger of an issue? You're allowed to have multiple concerns. This is the game that the libs play. This is the the pretense that they all go through of, oh, we'll start your own movement. If you care about black people getting shot in Chicago and New York so much, conservatives, start your own movement. And it's like, well, hold on a second. The the movement is called Black Lives Matter. But as we know, it's very specific black lives under very specific and politically useful circumstances. Why do we have to assume that that's why do we have to treat that like it's a moral proposition? They're focusing the public national attention, taking tremendous amounts of license to shut down streets, police resources, overtime funding for it. The, the looting that happens, the rioting that happens, the destruction of public property, all of these things in the name of black lives. But it's really a very, very small, very, very, very small subset of black lives. And we're supposed to just accept that. Not not supposed to challenge it. If you do, they'll tell you that, you know, you either don't understand them or they'll just say you're racist. That's usually the we've returned to this now as a society. We go through periods where being called a racist is effectively licensed for the person making the accusation to say whatever he or she wants. Remember, you have a lot of a lot of white liberals love to throw on the term racist, too. I mean, just go over to HuffPost, Vox.com, MSNBC, all these smarmy beta male white liberals in these places love to throw around the term racism. And they think it's an argument ender. And they think that, you know, they're part of the new digital civil rights movement or whatever. They're clowns. They're morons. Glenn Lowry, though, going uh, going back to this professor at Brown University, had a a a, a conversation on a show where I just want to play it for you. He nails this issue about where is the focus? Why do we have to accept that this is the focus of BLM and that that's 
defensible and moral compared to what the focus could and should be. And who's really benefiting from this? Qui bono? Who benefits from this situation? Let's hear from Professor Lowey. Play clip one. The guilty white liberal who needs a narrative about race that allows them to assuage whatever psychological processes they have give rise to a market for the mutterings of the likes of ta Colts. And my concern is about the actual well-being of black people, mm-hmm. uh, not about the froth on the top of the waves of uh, American elite culture and how they're reconciling their own psychodramas about racial guilt, but mm-hmm. about the actual lives of people who are getting gunned down, gunned yeah. down by thugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, a half mile from where they live, trying to pump gas into their car at one o'clock in the morning. Somebody decides they want their BMW or they, uh, et cetera, and they put a pistol up inside them and blow their brains out. And the fact that we have a public discourse where the extirpation of black life in the thousands per year by exactly that means can't even be mentioned. And the handful of black kids who are gunned down by bad police officers becomes the defining feature of our racial discourse. Ta-Nehisi Coates is a uh, product of this diseased racial, political American culture. I'm less concerned about rebutting him than I am about calling out the depths of uh, intellectual vacuousness and moral superficiality that's reflected in this fact. The intellectual vacuousness and moral superficiality that is the basis of the focus of the BLM movement. Professor Lowry just nailed it. I, if I could right now, I'd give him a standing O. I, I, you know, inject this into my veins. Pick, pick your phrase, my friends. This is exactly the point. This movement is largely driven by white liberal guilt. Those are the people that you see going on TV at night at these major networks who are being paid millions of dollars who don't live in neighborhoods where crime is a major concern, even if they did. They would make sure that they had the private security and the other mechanisms necessary to defend themselves and their families. They don't go to the public schools where there are more problems when there's greater crime in the neighborhood. Their kids go to the private schools. These white liberals are frauds. They are frauds. And they're cowards. And they're hurting the very communities that they pretend to help. And here you have Glenn Lowry, a black professor, a brilliant fellow, who is saying, what the heck is going on here? We're going to talk about making black lives matter. We're going to actually use the phrase, not the movement, the phrase. What's the most important thing you can do? Protect as many black lives as possible. Make them as fulfilled, as safe, as happy and secure as possible. And that is a conversation that all Americans are willing to have. That is a conversation that deserves focus and it deserves honesty. How do we make things better? How do we improve? How can we support the formation and sustenance and long-term longevity of the nuclear family in the black community, in black and brown communities, in all communities? There is too much dissolution of family across the country. And everything you can see, if there is such a thing as social science, it tells you that the family unit and its solidity It is the foundation of our society. And if you're not having a conversation about that and pushing policies, darn it, to support it and having a culture that sustains it, you're unserious. You're unserious. And in fact, it's worse. The BLM movement is worse than unserious. It's destructive.
it is making things worse for everyone in this country, notably for people who live in predominantly black and brown communities where violence is going up. We're learning this lesson that we've seen so many times play out before in this country. Democrats don't care. Now they'll focus on COVID. They're just waiting, waiting for someone to catch on video. Another instance of a cop wrestling someone to the ground. It looks too violent or, you know, a cop who has to pull his gun and use it. God forbid, but it happens. And if there's a murky circumstance, they're going to leap on that and try to try to get the rage machinery going all over again. Without having improved anything, with only having made things worse, they never learn the lesson because it's never about really making things better. It's about exploiting the anger of people and exploiting the, the concerns. And in some cases, in some communities, the, the hopelessness that is felt for nothing but opportunistic political gain. That's it. So that white liberals at fancy parties in particular can feel like they're the good people. They're doing what's necessary. They care so much so they can watch, you know, talk shows on HBO or Comedy Central or whatever, where they have these multimillionaire anchors who are making all these jokes about how racist the Republicans are and how racist conservatism is when we are the movement that says, You don't judge people by their skin color. You treat everybody as an equal human being worthy of dignity, respect and love. And you try to actually help people, not pander to groups, not lie, not misrepresent the real problems or what's really happening to talk about police violence against black men and not to talk about violence in the broader community and how many lives are lost to that is Shameful, and as Professor Lowry says, it is intellectually bankrupt and morally vacuous. Or morally vacuous and intellectually bankrupt, either way. That's just the truth. Let's see how many people will figure that out in the weeks ahead. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know who's... Not going to figure it out. You know, it's not going to change course and make things better. The idiot mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio. Here's here's his. This was just this week. Here's what this utter buffoon is saying. While this city is on a 35 percent murder spike year to year, You're having shootings that start to sound like the worst parts of Chicago happening in New York on a regular basis. It's crazy what's happening. Everybody knows it. Everybody sees it. And here's what de Blasio takes away from the situation. Play clip three. We now have fewer people in our jails than any time since World War II. And we are safer for it and better for it. So he opened up the prisons. Bail reform, all these things, all these you know, loosenings of the different criminal justice issues that are meant to keep people safe and meant to punish the guilty, punish lawbreakers. He's wiped this all away. You can now urinate in the street in New York. No problem. Oh, yeah, that's real. You know, that, that used to be something you get arrested for. You can do all kinds of stuff. I, I see things happening on New York City streets that I haven't seen since the 90s. 
which is when things were really bad here. I mean, to give you a sense, I keep repeating it. You got a little over 300 murders a year in New York until this year. It's going to be a lot higher than that. Might get up to, you know, who knows, 350, 400. Uh, You have 300. It used to be 2,200. 2,200 murders a year in one city. That's like, you know, that's starting to feel like uh, Medellin in the bad old days when Colombia was going through a narco insurgency, right? I mean, 2,200 murders a year. It can happen here. It, I grew up in it. I remember it. I lived it. And de Blasio saying that we're safer than we've ever been because of these reforms is just this is in direct contradiction to reality. Anyone can observe. Anyone can see what's going on. He simply does not care. He's got an agenda. He is pushing forward. Only got 18 months left in office. So he figures, hey, you know, you know, what we're going to do here. Let's just make sure the social justice warriors are happy with what I've done. That there are going to be people who get shot, killed, get raped, murdered, that there are going to be more funerals, that businesses are going to leave. I mean, this this city felt like it was on nothing but an upward trajectory economically. It's changing now. Oh, it's changing rapidly. He doesn't even care. It's about justice. You see fewer people in prison. Were the people in prison innocent? Why? Why is he celebrating that? Were people going to prison for not doing anything bad? Well, now they've opened up the prisons, they've done bail reform, and the city's a lot more dangerous. And old ladies get punched in the head and fall down and hit their hit their skulls on fire hydrants because lunatics who have been arrested over a hundred times, this actually happened, are free to roam the streets, do what they want to do. And the cops are told, you better do the bare minimum. You better not get too rough with any of these thugs because de Blasio is going to make an example of you. You see... They're learning all the wrong. They're learning all the wrong lessons because they're not learning anything. They don't care. They view this all. They view the sacrifice of your safety, the sacrifice of this country's gains against violence nationally. If that has to turn around the other way, so be it. It's what social justice demands. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just how bad is it? Remember, New York has, for now, almost no COVID problem. So we're really focused on the criminal justice issue and the rising crime is really what we're talking about. Uh, you have a New York State Councilman, Anil Bipan Jr., who put out an, a travel advisory for the month of July in New York City. Here's what it says. Due to the rising rate of violence and major crimes, it's recommended that area residents exercise increased caution while visiting New York City. Violent crimes such as homicide, shootings, felony assault, grand larceny and robberies is widespread. Armed criminals have been known to target and attack individuals, both premeditated and at random. Due to the disbandment of the anti-crime NYPD plainclothes unit, coupled with criminal justice reforms, officers, judges, may have a limited ability to provide adequate services and protections for crime victims with a 21% increase and a 53% increase, sorry, 21% increase in homicides and a 53% increase in shooting victims. It's advised that residents exercise extreme caution while traveling in the hotspot areas indicated. You know what the hotspot areas indicated are? Four of the five boroughs, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens. 
Staten Island, you are still considered safe. Now, at this point, I think you might say, Buck, I know you're in New York, although you do a show for the whole country. And in fact, people listen all over the world. What's up, Team Buck International? But I, I'm saying this because New York is the laboratory. Remember what we used to talk about? I used to say on this show almost 10 years ago that, that colleges are the laboratories of liberal lunacy and that what is being done on college campuses will find its way into boardrooms, find its way to the top of political parties, all throughout the culture, major media organizations. And of course, that is now obvious that was true. Well, when it comes to this undermining of cops and this this anti-cop mentality, it's playing out in the largest city in the country, but it's in other cities all across the country, too. And it's going to come to areas that are not known as as places that you'd have to be considered about a, a rising crime rate. Right. It's, it's going to it's going to filter out through uh, across America. It's already happening. And Democrats, because their whole party is invested in this narrative. Because they, they see it as a benefit with more people, more miserable and, and with violence on the rise. They can blame Trump. And in the meantime, they get to say, well, that's really bad. But look at all the stuff that we're doing to show how not racist we are as a society. All these criminal justice reforms. That's what the Democrats are saying. That's their move. That's their position here. Um, Mayor Bottoms down in atlanta just we can move around to different cities chicago obviously they just you know they, they can't get under control mayor there uh mayor lightfoot called kaylee McEnany on twitter a uh told her called her a karen and told her to watch her mouth that's the united states white house press secretary call her a karen tell her to watch her mouth oh just just imagine if some of the dynamics were a little different. You had a Democrat press secretary, female, and was told something like that by a major politician from the other party. It's also why, I, and I know some of you disagree with me on this. I don't, I don't like this. I know, I know people use it in, in different contexts. I don't like this term, Karen. It's a denigrating term for white women. I, I don't know what we want to start throwing this around. That's the only time it's ever used. I, I uh, just read read the tweet against Kaylee McEnany and tell me if you think that that's a term that that conservatives should be popularizing. And I know a lot of you have reached out to me because I said this on Twitter and you disagree with me, but um, I, I think I'm right on this one. I don't like using this term Karen all the time because, OK, well, I won't get into that. Um, and I've used it in the past, so I'm not saying I'm not guilty, but I've thought more about it. And I think that it's not something that we should popularize. Uh, call them, you know, busybody libs. Because that's what they that's what you're really referring to. Now, Mayor Bottoms uh, has had a huge surge in shootings in her city in Atlanta. National Guard has been called in. So, you know, you've got Minneapolis crime wave, um, Portland. We'll get to that crime wave, New York crime wave, Atlanta, Chicago. I mean, th these are all th that's that's just off the top of my head. I haven't even been able to crunch the data on. I don't know what's going on in New oh, St. Louis crime wave. Right. I haven't been able to crunch the data on a bunch of other places yet, but I don't think it's good. I don't think it's good. The Ferguson effect, as it's called, in full effect. Cops not able to do their jobs as effectively taking less risk to themselves, being less aggressive in their policing just means more innocent, good people get hurt, particularly more. Of the, you know, 99.999% of minorities who live in these neighborhoods, who don't commit crimes, who just want to live their lives and are the victims of crimes. But here we are, nonetheless.
there's a spike in shootings. Mayor Bottoms, remember, de Blasio says, we opened up the prisons. It's great. We're safer than ever. No, you moron. We're, we're less safe. Everyone knows that. So why are you saying we're more safe than ever? Mayor Bottoms, oh, there's more shootings. Why are there more shootings? Oh, you guessed it. Because of lawful gun owners. Play clip four. But in Georgia, an open carry state, people are allowed to walk down the streets with assault weapons, and we don't have probable cause to stop them. And you don't get to pick and choose which demographic uh, you get to stop and, 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 and question as to why they're walking in our streets with open weapons. It is an issue in Atlanta. Uh, it's an issue in other cities across this nation. And it is one that we take very seriously. Uh, but this notion that somehow the governor is helping us with law and order is false. He has military tanks in front of state buildings. This is a playbook. Uh, this is a, a play out of the Nixon playbook. Distract. Talk about law and order when the reality is that people are dying of COVID-19 and this president and this governor have failed us. Notice the move away. It was all about police and criminal. It was all about Black Lives Matter a few weeks ago. Now it's all about COVID. Hmm. Interesting. I thought that Black Lives Matter was so urgent that we had to risk more COVID cases. That is what the Democrats told us. Risk more COVID cases and more death from COVID because of the urgency of BLM. That was the narrative. That's what was accepted by them. That's what was put forward by them. The media, the Democrat Party, liberals, that was it. Now it's, you know, they're trying, Republicans are trying to distract. No, Republicans are probably trying to stop angry mobs from looting and burning more government buildings. Which seems fair, considering that that's what has been happening in recent weeks. And the Democrat Party has been cheering it on. Go for it. Show how angry you are. Ruin the country. Blaming open carry. I would defy Mayor Bottoms to show me one instance. She's talking about people carrying long guns. You know, probably AR-15s, but who knows? I, I would defy Mayor Bottoms to find me one person who has been open carrying in Atlanta a, a semi-automatic rifle who lawfully, who, who had it lawfully, so not including a convicted felon or somebody who's not allowed to have a gun that was engaged in an act of criminal violence with that weapon. I, I, I'd want her to show me just one time. I would bet money. That she couldn't come up with it. Not one time. No. Where's the, where's the gun violence coming from? Thugs with handguns. Thugs meaning people who are criminals. Who therefore should not and cannot legally have weapons in the first place. It's not open carry advocates that are lawfully possessing those weapons that are leading the shootings. But this is just, we all know what she's saying. Oh yeah, it's like those... You know, those evil, you know, patriot militia members or something. I mean, what, what is she even talking about? It's just utter nonsense. There's been no change in the gun rules. So why would there be a big surge? There's a surge in violence because her city, well, really a county nearby, has told the, the public that a cop doing his job and defending himself could end up with the state saying, we're going to murder you to the cop. We are going to try to kill you, to end your life to a law enforcement officer. That has what you'd consider a chilling effect on police, which then leads to the bad guys who have guns illegally. They don't care about, you know, going through the National Instant Background Check System or, you know, they're just buying a gun on the street. 
And then they go and they do a drive-by and they shoot people. And they'll shoot, you know, a one-year-old in a park. They don't care. That's where the crime is coming from. But she's a fraud. And quite honestly, obviously incompetent. So there's Atlanta. How are things going in, oh, I don't know, Portland? Portland is a city right now that is under siege. It's a city where it's very clear that there is no real sense of law and order. And it's a place that increasingly relies or or needs federal assistance to get back up on its feet and have some security. You have uh, the acting chief of the Department of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, we had on the show recently, going to Portland and now deploying federal law enforcement, DHS cops, deploying them to assist because the city of Portland under Ted Wheeler, who's a left-wing idiot, and the governor, who's another left-wing idiot, are incapable of stopping Antifa from doing horrible stuff. I mean, last night, the Portland Police Department, I couldn't believe as I saw it, tweeted out from, this is the official Portland Police Department account, tweeted at the following, quote, we have heard chants stating the crowd around Southeast Precinct wants to enter the property and burn down the precinct. You are subject to arrest and use of force including crowd control munitions if you enter the property. Thanks for the helpful reminder, Portland PD. A mob has gathered and is shouting and threatening to burn down a police station. And the best the police can come up with at the time is to try to remind via Twitter the mob that it is, in fact, illegal to burn down a police station. This is America, July of 2020. This is what we're seeing. This is what's going on. And Democrats can pretend that this isn't indicative of broader issues. They can pretend that this isn't the rapid deterioration of law and order. They are out of their minds. They are just wrong. And they're lying. They're lying to you. Um, Portland has had government buildings attacked. Recently, a federal courthouse was attacked and lit on fire. That's arson against a federal building. You know, the government's authority is, is largely driven by perception. And the perception has to be, I mean, if you really want to talk about real law and order, perception has to be that if you attack the federal government, you will be punished and punished severely. If the belief is that you can get away with attacking the federal government, then people can do it all over the place. It all starts to deteriorate. It all goes away. Where are the arrests and where is the sense of urgency? Again, the Democrats don't care about any of this. It doesn't matter to them. It serves their political purposes right now. And what are the things that we will hear about from the left as all this is going on? Just the, the most transparently absurd and reckless undermining of cops, pretending that all police are racist. Oh, here's an example. The headline with federal officers making arrests of Antifa militants is a domestic terrorist organization. Okay, that's what Antifa is in Portland. Antifa getting arrested by these guys. Uh, The headline of the Washington Post was, quote, it was like being preyed upon 
Portland protesters say federal officers in unmarked vans are detaining them. Oh, my gosh. Federal officers in unmarked They are federal officers. It says police, and they have DHS patches on them. And they're in uniform. Well, what are they supposed Do they have to wear the special windbreakers? Does that make them cops? Or what, what do they want them to do? But the, the way the Washington Post frames it is be afraid of this federal overreach, the federal government. The same thing you have with Mayor Bottoms in Atlanta. Oh, why, why would they park a vehicle like this outside of a building? Well, because they're trying to prevent people from burning the building down. It's not a distraction. This is what is happening. This left-wing movement of BLM and the statue topplers and Antifa and all this other stuff, it's out of control. It's, it's overwhelmingly pushed on now by the most ignorant, lunatic liberals you could possibly find. And the media needs this, this sort of froth on top of the base, this, this, uh, this rage, so that they can feel as though they have the upper hand against Trump going into a re-election. Their base is mobilized and the country is under siege. That's the perception we're supposed to have, and they're making it a reality. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Vote like your life depends on it. Because it does. Pick any issue you care about. I guarantee it is on the line in this election, and Joe Biden has a vision for how to make change. Your life depends on it. Your, your, your life depends on voting for a Democrat. Oh, Elizabeth Warren's really making it very clear where she comes down on this issue. Uh, you, you, know, you, know, you know who? My daddy, always, my daddy always told me that just just shoot straight with the folks when you're a, you know, a senator and a former tenured Harvard Law professor. You just got to be so Main Street. Shoot straight with the folks. And you, you know, you know what she wants you to know that um, it, it's real. It's real simple. Vote Democrat or you're going to die. Elizabeth Warren at least doesn't, you know, doesn't dance around the issue. Happy to tell people the truth here in her mind, which is, you know, if you don't vote for a Republican, I mean, if you vote for Republicans, you're basically voting for human beings to lose their lives. There you go. There you go. Because Biden has a plan. He has a plan for everything. Biden has whatever piece of paper and whatever. Uh, juice sippy cup they put in front of him the guy doesn't know anything about anything anymore he never really did he's always just been a vessel for whatever was the most uh, politically advantageous position in the democrat party at any given time he's not particularly bright he's actually kind of dumb he's well known he's it's known that biden's just not very smart he's only been successful at one thing getting elected in the state of delaware and just sort of being around he just gets the he just gets the you know longe- longevity and politics award. That's it. But oh, if you vote for Biden, your life is going to get so much better. It's all going to be great. Just listen to Warren. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Seeing more school districts, at least in Virginia, for example, last night, deciding to go online only. What does the president say to parents out there who are now going, okay, what do I do with my kids? 
Yeah, the president has said um, unmistakably that he wants schools to open, and I was just in the Oval talking to him about that. And when he says open, he means open and full, kids being able to attend each and every day at their school. Uh, the science should not stand in the way of this. Uh, and as Dr. Scott Atlas said, I thought this was a good quote. Of course we can do it. Everyone else in the Western world, our peer nations, are doing it. We are the outlier here. You know how that soundbite was reported by uh – you know, the mainstream media, including uh, fake fake news superstar Jim Acosta over at CNN, uh, as well as a lot of other people, that Kayleigh McEnany as the White House press secretary is saying that the science is not allowed to be a consideration. The science cannot stand in the way of the agenda of the Trump administration to reopen schools. Such a lie. Right. We can all we all know what she's saying. The science cannot stand in the way of reopening because the science favors reopening. That's what she is saying. But one of the favorite games of and and they do it partially because they're idiots and partially out of just spite. It's a spiteful thing to do. The media in the era of Trump, whether it's the president himself or any anyone around him, anyone on his team, they pretend they don't have a sense of humor they don't understand sarcasm. They don't have an, a, a real grasp of the plain meaning of words in the English language. They, they act like, you know, these are people who are journalists in English and they act like English all of a sudden is a third language that they're not sure they could even, you know, order dinner in. But, but, but wait, that's what the person said directly. So we're just going to quote those words and not. No, no intonation, context, all of those things. No idea. Right. They're they're completely uh, blind to the reality of how of how people communicate. But look, the Democrats have a very obvious agenda with all of this. If, in fact, they can keep schools shut down, not in every place, but in a lot of places, Trump's going to win. I'm sorry. Trump's going to lose. Trump's going to lose. They know it. If they can keep uh, schools shut down, Trump's going to lose. I mean, that's not a sure thing, but it's a it's a pretty likely one. And think of what they were willing to do before. Right. The the apparatus, the political establishment in 2016 put forward Hillary Clinton, pretended she had not violated the Espionage Act over 100 times in a criminally reckless fashion, which she clearly did. So change the law for her and also. We're setting up the bogus insurance policy of using the deep state actors within the DOJ and the FBI to target President Trump and bring him down. Should he actually win? Getting that whole Russia collusion thing going. That was an absurdity. It was an insanity. And there has been no accountability for it whatsoever. None. Zero. So why should we think that they'd be any less utterly insane now when it comes to sacrificing so much of the of what's good, so much of what would be helpful to the country in order to make sure that Trump loses. Uh, they're they're fine with this trade off. OK, kids are going to miss, you know, what is it? Another semester, call it, and basically half a school year. And then in January 2021, the schools can reopen. I'm getting messages from people. I'll tell you this because I'm very vocal on this issue. Um, I, I've been vocal on this for a long time. And I'm getting messages from people who know me in not from my work, but who are liberals who know me in private life. And they're they're all terrified of children going back to school. And I look and I just want to write them and say, 
Europe has opened all of its schools. What is wrong with you? It's already, they're already doing, we've already run the experiment. It's already happening. So why are we, and New York has almost no COVID cases right now. I mean, in the, in the hundreds, it's very, very minimal. Same thing with New Jersey. Some states, I'm confident, have hit their peak and are about to turn, turn the corner, and then they'll be done. And it's very likely they'll never have another COVID, uh, COVID surge like this again. But you have less than a dozen kids have died in school. I think the number is like eight or nine under the age of, of 18 have died in the United States from COVID so far. It's a very small, more die from the flu every year in school. So why are people say I've got people reaching out to me that it's heartless and cruel to want schools to reopen? Are, are they heartless and cruel when every year kids die? Which, you know, dying from the flu is just as rough as dying from COVID. You're dead. Same, a lot of the same mechanisms on the body. It's terrible, right? But so why one and not the other? The fear centers. The Democrats have really gone after the fear centers of people's brains now, and you can't have you can't have an a honest discussion with with folks when they're just terrified and i'm not talking about you know at the leadership level the democrat party wants schools to be shut down for politics and power but there are a lot of people who i mean they're reaching out to me personally saying you don't understand it's so terrifying for for our kids you don't have kids so you don't you don't get it i've had someone tell me that Mm, sorry that's that's actually not that's not changing the reality of what the data tells us and what it means for those kids to not be in school. Uh, you had the New York City mayor announcing a plan yesterday to provide child care for 100,000 children in the fall using community centers and libraries and other spaces. And to this, I say, so it's safe to gather kids in New York, according to the Democrats, in large groups indoors it's just not safe to teach them anything while the government does that. Yeah, that seems legit. That seems about right. So child care, they're going to start to provide, they say, but not no schools. Why is that? Why are they put Why are they put the children at risk? If it's so risky to have a school, why is it risky to be in child care? They're going to tell me that it's because if you're under the age of five, you're at really low risk. I'm going to say. Okay, now we're just having a conversation with crazy people, because if you're under the age of 18, you're at really low risk. And quite honestly, if you're under the age of 50, you're at entirely manageable risk. So what are we even talking about? Well, we know this is about everything other than safety for a lot of people. This is about so many other things. And um, the politics of this could not be any more obvious. And that brings me to mask mandates now people seem to be confused on this one in georgia for example there are there are men there's a, a fight now over whether cities can mandate masks and the state of georgia under governor kemp is saying look we want we encourage people to wear a mask but we're not going to allow cities to make these kinds of designations on their own this is a state power not a city power here's governor kemp play clip six Now, I know that many well-intentioned and well-informed Georgians want a mask mandate. And while we all agree that wearing a mask is effective, I'm confident that Georgians don't need a mandate to do the right thing. I know that Georgians can rise to this challenge, and they will. 
And I know that Georgians will do their part to defeat this deadly virus. I mean, I think everyone is doing their part by going forward with their lives and trying to be responsible while our government is increasingly, in my opinion, just reckless. I have not given up. I will not give up on a very basic concept that I never get a good answer for here. I want to know where in the Constitution it says that all of your freedoms can be suspended on the capricious whim of a state governor for as long as he or she wants because of a disease that has a 99.7% survival rate. If anyone wants to fight with me on this one, okay, let's, let's play this out. If a governor has the authority to shut down some businesses but not others, some areas but not others, stay in your home, put a covering over your face, or we will fine you. Stay home, or we will perhaps quarantine, which is just a fancy way of saying imprison you. If a governor governor can do that in, for example, New York, where COVID is is effectively a non-issue right now, and I know, and I'm so sorry, those of you who are in Florida and Texas and Arizona uh, and Georgia are going through this right now. Those are the major hotspots. Uh, it's it's not really an issue in New York, and yet we're still at the whim of this dictatorial moron, Governor Cuomo. You look at California, and I've actually seen heat maps, you know, that show uh, density of, of a, a measured issue. Heat maps where California has probably the highest mass compliance of any state in the country. Why is California having a huge surge? Everyone's been wearing masks there, masking all over the place. Now, this many months into it, California has a, has a big spike in COVID cases and is now on a lockdown, not a full on shelter in place, but pretty close. I mean, if masks are so effective, why why would that happen? Everyone's wearing masks. People I know who live in California who mask all the time have told me, look, I'm I'm somebody who believed them and wore a mask all the time. Still got sick. Every public interaction they're going, every store they went to, wearing a mask all the time. Wearing masks in their cars driving alone. Still get sick. Oh, but if you don't wear a mask, you're a bad person. This is what this is what we're told. And if you question where the legal authority is for this, they just dismiss you and say that you're some kind of a, you know, some kind of a loon. You're a conspiracy theorist. Well, can a governor shut us down for a flu? Can the governor shut down every time there's a flu season? What, what other health issues can the, can the government, uh, can a governor declare? Explain to me under the current logic why this can't work. A governor could say that gun violence is a public health crisis. And so we're going to lock down the state and go door to door and seize all firearms under this public health crisis. Before you say, Buck, they would never do that, which I don't think that many of you would. What am I missing here? It's a health crisis. People are people are dying. Don't you want people to stop dying? It's a health crisis. You'd say, Buck, but the Second Amendment. Yeah. Is there is there also is there any law that says that you're not allowed to leave your home? The shelter in place order is what? It's just the governor can say stay home or else. It's martial law, folks. That's what that turns into really quickly. It's just this is the way it's going to be. Curfews at night, shelter in place, all for your own good? No, thank you. I'll take my chances. Oh, but if you take your chances, you're putting other people at risk. Okay, so I have no freedom. 
That's now we finally work this all the way through. I have no freedom. I have no autonomy. Every aspect of my existence is at the whim of the governor of my very blue, very status state. And for a lot of you in other places across the country, you're at the whim of your governor, too. Some of them are a little bit better than ours, although I'm still disappointed in what Governor Abbott has been saying recently. Play clip 11. You know, it seems like I get this question about a thousand times a day, and there uh, seems to be rumors out there uh, about a looming shutdown. And let me tell you, there is no shutdown coming. And let me tell you two reasons why. Uh, one is because uh, I have uh, now uh, put into place a statewide uh, requirement uh, that everyone wear a face mask. This is the best standard as articulated this week uh, by the head of the CDC saying that we will be able to uh, contain COVID-19 if everyone will simply adopt this practice that is now in place across the entire state of Texas. And then the second thing, of course, is it was just a few weeks ago uh, that it ordered the closure of bars. So the CDC says now you got to wear a mask. That's what we're being told. CDC saying you got to wear a mask. Remember, the CDC was explicitly telling us earlier this year, not only is mask wearing not important, to do it was a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not making that up. You can all check that. That's a fact. That was the guidance earlier this year. Now it's if you don't wear a mask, you're putting people at risk. Now, of course, I've always said masks are situational for people working in hospitals. You know, even even a five percent mitigation of risk in a hospital setting may be worth it. But is it worth it for healthy people going about their lives every day, especially out in the open air? Uh, The CDC that gave us the faulty tests in the early days of this pandemic, when it would have been particularly useful and save lives to be able to test quickly to try to contain the spread. Once the spread got beyond a certain level. There was no way that we were going to be able to contain it and shut it down and all this. And this has turned into a fantasy. If you look at the the curve in place after place and then, you know, the, the severity of the peak is determined by, you know, the density of population, susceptibility of the population, generally speaking, to the virus, you know, that overall health overall age of the population. These are factors that determine whether you've got a big spike or a little. But the duration of the curve in place after place is about eight weeks. It, the virus comes in, it spreads for eight weeks, and then it's, then it's done. And maybe it comes back at some level, but you get closer and closer to herd immunity. I, I, I want to share with you, I've been telling you about this theory, what I think is really happening with the virus. And it's not my theory. It's a theory from medical experts that I think makes sense. And it has to do with this herd immunity threshold, H-I-T. Let's get into it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What was your reaction when you learned that the governor of your state filed a lawsuit against you? Completely dumbfounded. It is a waste of resources, taxpayer dollars, um, as we are struggling to make sure that our children have access to technology and broadband so that they can learn virtually in the fall because it's very likely they won't be able to return to school. Um, as our hospitals are at capacity, as we are woefully behind with access to testing and contact tracing, it is mind boggling that this governor, who did not know that this 
this virus was asymptomatic until we were well into the pandemic with waste resources on suing me personally um, and our city council for a mass mandate and advisory voluntary business recommendations and guidelines. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of a lot of uh, fancy words when the problem here is the law still counts. The Constitution still matters, even during a pandemic, even when people are upset and afraid and there are real challenges and everything else. The law still counts and you don't get to just say, well, we're going to make it up as we go along. I- I'm I'm a, I'm astonished at how little pushback, quite honestly, there has been from the population uh, from from Americans about what's going on in many states. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to get into in greater detail some of these just completely. It, these rules are incoherent now. And they've already shown us during the BLM marches that public health takes a back seat to political agendas. There's no there's no turning back from that. There's no putting the genie back in the bottle. There's no making things all better now. No, we understand who the people calling for lockdowns really are and what really matters to them. Because they were silent, silent while there were protests about police violence, silent and even justified it. That was the worst. The ones who were saying, well, it's really more important for public health and it's the better. It's a more important thing. So we're just going to say, OK, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not letting it go. I'm not forgetting and I'm not forgiving. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think this is the single most important theory out there right now that explains so much of what we're facing. And I've mentioned it to you before. It's starting to gain some traction, but it won't gain a lot of traction because it's not useful to the Democrat narrative. They don't really want to talk about it. And it's... A Reuters piece from just last week on this. There are many others now that are popping up. And here's the title. Scientists focus on how immune system T cells fight coronavirus in absence of antibodies. Say, well, hold on a second. We've had all this talk about antibodies and herd immunity and serology testing, blood tests meant to determine the presence of antibodies in your system after fighting off an infection with COVID-19. But how could how do T cells factor in this? Well, T cells are just another part of your immune system response and a very important one. Right. These are the uh, the white blood cells that we always talk about with. Oh, you need you know, what's your white blood cell count? You look at your T cells. This is the fighting back against viruses, against bacteria that happens within the body all the time. And here's a theory that I'm going to present to you raised by scientists That I have talked to doctors about who say it is completely plausible. There's no reason to believe that this is not true. All we lack is the data to say that it is true. And there's a lot of reason to think just based on the uh, factors that we're seeing played across the country that this is what's happening. Here's the Reuters piece. As scientists question whether the presence or absence of antibodies to the novel coronavirus can reliably determine immunity. Some are looking to a different component of the immune system known as T cells for their role in protecting people in the pandemic. Recent studies show that some recovered patients who tested negative for corona, uh, coronavirus antibodies 
did develop T cells in response to their COVID-19 infection. While the studies are small and have yet to be reviewed by outside experts, some scientists now say people who experience a mild illness or no symptoms at all from the new coronavirus may be eliminating the infection through this T cell response. The findings add to the evidence that an effective COVID-19 vaccine will need to uh, need to prompt T cells to work in addition to producing antibodies. My friends, this is huge. If this is correct, this is enormous. When a virus gets past the body's initial defenses, which include infection fighting white blood cells, a more specific adaptive response kicks in, triggering production of cells that target the invader. These include antibodies that can recognize a virus and lock onto it, preventing its entry into a person's cells, as well as T cells that can kill both invaders and the cells they have infected. T cells are often important in controlling viral infections. We are seeing evidence of that. John Weary, the director of the University of Pennsylvania Institute for Immunology, told Reuters, a real scientist talking about this. This is this is not, you know, hey, you know, drink, drink a bucket of sparkling water with some lemons in it and throw some zinc in there and you're cured or something. Right. This is not some nonsense. This is real. Quote, a recent small French study found that six out of eight family members in close contact with relatives who had COVID-19 developed a T-cell response, but did not test positive for antibodies. A Swedish study of 200 people found a strong T-cell response in most individuals who had mild illness or no symptoms following coronavirus infection, regardless of whether they showed an antibody response. The findings suggest that coronavirus infection rates may be higher than what has been studied using antibody tests alone. My friends, um, there's more. I mean, this is this is stunning. And you're not hearing about it. They don't want to talk about this because and I'll get to why in a second. A study by the La Jolla Institute detected T cells that reacted to SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, in about half of stored blood samples collected between 2015 and 2018 suggesting that the immune system cells developed after previous infection with circulating common cold coronaviruses might help protect against the new virus. Now, why is this such a big this is this if this is if the implications of this are are correct and true, here's what it, here's what it means. Um, in New York, they did serology testing a couple of months ago. And they found that about 20% of New Yorkers had antibodies. Now, this is millions of people. 20% had antibodies from exposure to or infection from the... Now, remember, some people are asymptomatic, but their body was exposed to COVID-19 and they developed the immune response that will protect them. 20%. Okay. If this is correct, it would be even more common for people exposed to COVID-19 or that were, you know, had low level, low level symptoms or asymptomatic to have a T cell immune system response that also stays in their system. So you would at least double what we know from the serology testing and probably considerably more than that. Let's say you get up to, uh, you know, just for the for our purposes, if you're at 20% antibodies to COVID-19 and 20% T-cell response to COVID-19, in addition, 
you're at a 40 percent you're at a 40 percent rate of of uh, of herd immunity. Now, true herd immunity would mean that there's so many people that are protected from the virus that even people that are not protected are fine. You're you might not be there at 40, but once you get to 50, 60 percent, you're basically there. It means it's very hard for this disease to spread widely among the population, including those that haven't yet developed that immune system response. Now, why is this so important? That would explain how in New York, where effectively the virus spread unencumbered with the, you know, the greatest population density, the subway operating bars and restaurants. And I look at someone like myself. Did, did I have a a. Uh, If I took a serology test, I haven't yet. I'm planning to do it soon, hopefully. If I took a serology test and it showed uh, that I don't have antibodies, I'd be willing to bet that I have a T-cell response. Because I'm somebody who was in the absolute peak of this this virus's spread in the subways, crowded restaurants, crowded bars, crowded offices all the time. Crowded building that I live in that I wouldn't have been exposed to this, to me, just defies logic. And I know there are there are millions of people like me that would not that have not had what they know to be COVID-19 yet and may not have may not have a positive finding on a serology test. What this would likely mean is that the New York is essentially past the maximum spread phase, and there could be small outbreaks, but they're always going to be blocked from becoming major outbreaks because a lot of the population is protected from it naturally. And with more and more young, healthy people getting exposed to this and developing protection from it, that window, the the ex, the available targets, if you will, of the virus that are going to be it's going to be really dangerous for them keeps getting that window keeps getting smaller and smaller. Right. That's how herd immunity works. That's what seems plausible in a place like New York. People can tell me all day that they think that it's because of mask wearing and social distancing to them. I just want to say New York did those things. And this virus was was ripping through this city for two solid months with with seemingly, you know, no end in sight. And then all of a sudden it started to go down. They claim it's because of the lockdown. But Sweden never had a lockdown, for example, and now has almost no deaths from minimal deaths from COVID-19 happening and cases are way, way down. So we're assuming. So this is why. And now you get into the why they're not going to tell you the truth about this. Now you're going to get into why there'll be a suppression of this. Two reasons. On the one hand. Can you imagine what the public health community is going to look like if it turns out that all this stuff that we're doing, all this, oh, you know, the, the, the hand washing and the mitigation and the wear a mask sometimes. I said don't wear a mask. Now I'm saying do wear a mask. You know, the Fouch all over the place telling you to do this and that and the other thing. And, you know, what, what would we think if, if it, we became, it became very clear that that was all the equivalent of uh, antivirus theater, that it really didn't make any difference. Are you ever going to listen to the you know, public health authorities during a pandemic again? So they're hugely invested. And, you know, the science people that have spent their lives studying this and everything else have had basically no answers for us on a lot of this, still don't have answers. 
And if it if it is clear that we've just been dragged toward herd immunity with the most economic pain possible, the most uh, violation of our rights possible, if that's what we find out and we still suffer the same amount of death and the same amount of infection and everything. Think about what that's going to look like for the people who push those policies and who have been so sanctimonious and self-righteous during the whole thing. And then it also, of course, there's the political level. There's the political level here where if we see that where we're just going, uh, that the smartest policy is to reopen, protect the vulnerable and allow the disease over time to move through the low risk population. The same way that we accept every year that there is a flu and everything else. But, you know, it's worse for older people than the flu. I get that but allowed to move to the lowest population so they develop herd immunity, and then we can get back to our lives, we can get back to normalcy. The Democrats don't want that to be the case because they know that then their biggest election issue uh, is gone. So this theory that, as I've told you, it's I'm reading this from completely reputable sources and reputable experts, uh, th- that theory is going to be under the surface. The studies necessary to prove this correct. The, there will be people, and I know you'd think, come on, we're in a pandemic. Can't they put politics aside? No. There are people who don't want to believe this. They really don't want to believe this. How, how foolish. Just think of people that you know in your own life. I mean, I've always said we don't really know. There's a lot of uncertainty. How? You know, maybe masks sometimes are a good idea, but other times they're clearly not or they're meaningless. We don't need to use them. There have been people who have been shrieking at everybody in some cases, cases quite literally in their lives. That you better wear a mask all the time, even if you have no symptoms. And you'd be washing your hands like somebody who's got a, you know, a compulsion. Or else you're a reckless person who's 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 literally costing lives. That's what they'll that's what they've been saying. How do you think they'll feel if it turns out that all that was just really irrelevant? They, they'll never believe it. People will continue to fight over this forever, even though increasingly it seems to me part of, you know, part of the desire to push for the lockdowns is the desire uh, to make sure that we don't get to see what happens in places like Texas after we've already seen what happens in a place like New York where, or, or a place like California, for example, where they've had mask mandates for months now and it would just prove that this lockdown doesn't really do anything and that we've put ourselves through that. I mean, the virus is real. It's horrible. It kills people. But what we may be facing is this reality in which the virus is going to do what it does and a lot of the public policy around this has been that where people have been so certain um, was idiocy was self-defeating and unnecessary i cannot say that definitively yet because as i've told you this is a theory about the the white blood cell response to this uh the, the t-cell response to this specifically and how that might factor into herd immunity but i'm telling you this right now new york it it, it didn't make a difference when we were wearing masks when the spread was terrible And it doesn't feel like it's making a difference now when there's basically no cases and people are still wearing masks all over the place. 
to tell us that this is on us, like our behavior. If only we weren't naughty, there would be no virus. I think that's insulting. I think that's insulting. I think people have done what they're told, and there's still a lot of folks getting sick. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And we do want to get our schools open. You know, it has virtually no impact on children. They're just stronger than we are. The mothers and the fathers and the kids, they want the school open. You know, there's danger in not opening, too. You understand that. We've been seeing these reports in their horror shows when you stay at home and you can't get out. You can't do what you want to do. And that causes a lot of problems. It even causes death, frankly. So we want the schools open. And Georgia has been a great example of a state that's done it all right. It's pretty straightforward. Open the schools. Seems to me like there shouldn't be a whole lot of disagreement about this. But as we know, it's it's not about what the science tells us. It's it's not about what the truth of this is. It, it's ultimately just about finding yet another reason to keep the American people in this this state of uh, of continuing unease and and misery. And that's the plan. Everything else is really just, a, a, a you know, you can talk about it. You can say, why aren't we having a more constructive conversation here? And the reason is that they don't want to have a constructive conversation. They want the schools to be shut down. Teachers unions have also given us all a reminder of how utterly uh, corrupt and worthless Democrat uh, they are. And they're really just Democrat super PACs. You have, uh, oh, bro Cuomo. Let's hear from him. He's like, hey, hey, where's my creatine? Play 17. You tell me how a president in the middle of a pandemic has got time for this bull. Are you kidding me? Hawking products. I don't care who it is. Resolute desk. This is what he's resolute about. Pandemic priorities. His daughter, Ivanka, top White House advisor. Are you kidding me? Marketing for a brand following calls for boycotts after Goya's CEO heaped praise on Trump last week. On your dime, in the middle of a pandemic, they're selling beans? Are you, are you kidding me? Seriously. Seriously. This is not left and right. This is reasonable, my brothers and sisters. The guy's sitting on the Resolute desk with a bunch of Goya products. This from the guy whose brother made the single worst public policy decision of the entire pandemic, leading to likely hundreds, if not thousands of deaths. While he was doing a whole variety show about oh, what a mom say, well, mom, you're my favorite, you're his favorite every night on CNN, you know, night. Well, not every night, but night after night on CNN. But now it's all how do you have time for this? You could play the how do you have time for this game with any politician at any point in time. It's it's just cheap theatrics, but at least it's theatrics I've ever seen. That was the most interesting Cuomo segment I've seen in a long time. Dumb as it may be. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're talking about going to phase four on Monday in New York City. Phase four is the final opening phase. Uh... I am going to limit it if we do it uh, only outdoor activities, uh, which means malls don't open and cultural institutions can open, but only outdoor, Mm -hmm. no indoor activities. And we also uh, have some regulations for bars and restaurants, 
we allowed outdoor dining. What you're seeing in New York City is these outdoor block parties. Uh, they they're yeah. just. Uh, distributing, selling alcohol, and you have large congregations. That's not uh, what we anticipated. Uh, so we have to be careful about that, and we're going, we're going to have additional regulations on that. More regulations, more dictates from the governor's office. Coming soon to a state near you, my friends. You already have. You have a mask mandate in Texas. I got to say, for all the love for Texas that I've got, doesn't feel like it's quite the uh, don't mess with Texas. We love freedom state that we had all gotten used to here. All right. Let's let's keep it real. Mask mandate now. Hmm. Other states as well going through mask mandates. So. Here's the problem with, with, with uh, what Governor Cuomo is saying. He's telling you that we're going into phase four. And you have to see this, my friends. Uh, New York is at the sort of. It was the worst hit place, but we got hit the hardest, the fastest. So now we are in a state of of relative normalcy from the perspective of COVID, right? There's very few cases, very few deaths. And we are supposed to now reopen based on the metrics they set forth, but we're not reopening. And they're just this is completely arbitrary. They set out guidance and then they change what they're going to do. They set out this. They, they said, here are the numbers that we need to let you have your lives back. And Governor Cuomo is out there saying you got to get to this number and this number. And, you know, the people here, the people there, the people everywhere. You got to do this and that and the other thing. You got to get down to 25 percent of hospital beds. Why do I need 25 percent? Because that's what my health experts told me. So why are we going to allow outdoor dining if people can have a block party? You can't have a block party. Don't allow outdoor dining anymore unless people are sitting down. You cannot order alcohol. This is a real rule. You cannot order alcohol unless you're also eating. So what does that mean? So this has meant that we have another thing here called Cuomo chips. What, are, what is a Cuomo chip? A Cuomo chip is... A uh, way that bars and restaurants are getting around the new alcohol regulation. That's right, folks. They're selling one dollar orders of potato chips to give you those. So they're complying with the regulation, the the market trying to work around the regulations. Look at that. Got to make sure people have their Cuomo chips. Stunning, stunning stuff. Isn't it? This is what we're all subjected to. Bruce and Mark, have you had Cuomo chips yet? No, it sounds like a lot like a shroot buck. What's a shroot buck? From the office. Oh, Dwight shroot bucks? Yeah. Remember when he became manager for a day and started handing out shroot bucks? Mmm. Yeah. Yes, now I do recall, actually. That's a, that's a good thing. So, yeah, man, I, I, I just... Someone has to explain to me why we even have reopening phases if the phases are not really the phases. <laughs> what we really have is politicians who just get to determine what you can do. Does your business open? Does your business live or die? Your life's work? Well, it's up to, it's up to what Cuomo feels like today. Maybe we got to shut you down again. Well, hold on a second. The virus is at a super low level. Shouldn't we go back to normal life? No, no, no. The virus is other places. You got to be shut down. What are the limits on this power? Does anyone even ask the question, what are the limits on this power? 
When, when is this too much? Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I mean, I, I want the DOJ to sue the you-know-what out of uh, these different states that are mandating all this stuff. I mean, you got to drag them into court. Got to get them to stop doing this. The most these, these decisions are so arbitrary. What are they even basing this on? Why, if, if masks are so effective, why can't we just wear masks at indoor malls then? Right? It's fine. Masks work. Do they work? Oh, we're not sure. But wear them anyway. Oh, Buck, but they, they don't work perfectly, but they work pretty well. How well? Should everybody wear a mask across the country if it's a reduction of 1% in transmission ratio? Is that, is that the new rule? And if we're going to start to have that, that extreme version of disease mitigation, why don't we also have it during the... They, they always dismiss the comparisons to the flu season as if that's not a serious argument. I think it's an entirely serious argument. People die. It's every year. It spreads all over the place. And yeah, we could shut down to stop that. I don't want to give them any ideas. We could shut down so that that wouldn't happen again. But they don't. They don't do it. They don't do it. Instead, we got Cuomo chips. The thing about the Cuomo chips is you want to make sure that you get the good flavors. Some of you, when you order your Cuomo chips, you'll probably go with barbecue. Or perhaps, if you're truly a person of terrible taste, go with Chipotle flavor. Potato chips only come in in a few worthwhile flavors. Producer Mark, you can have, of course, traditional potato chip. Perfect. Delicious. We love it. You can have sea salt and vinegar if you're fancy. If you're a fancy type and you want to go fancy potato chip, you go sea salt vinegar. And if you're really feeling a little indulgent, you've been spending a lot of time on the couch, you want to make sure you're doing the maximum, you can go sour cream and onion. That's it. That's where I'm leaving it. Am I leaving anything out, Producer Mark? I was going to ask Governor Cuomo if I could have sour cream and onion. That's my favorite. Oh, of course. Oh, come on. Sour cream and onion is amazing. Yeah, that's the best that's, potato chip. Sour cream and onion is the most meal-like of the potato chip flavors. Like, you eat enough sour cream and onion potato chips, you start to feel like, you know, you, it's like you put away a baked potato almost, you know? Have with, you the ever had, with the chives yeah. and the whole thing. Have you ever had ketchup chips? Apparently, that's a I've big thing in heard, Canada. I've never even heard of ketchup chips. That's a thing? Yes. I really want to try it, but I haven't seen it anywhere. Hmm. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a chip guy. I do like those. Uh, I like sweet potato chips too. I gotta say, they got a nice little, oh, nice little. They're flavor. amazing. Sweet potato fries sometimes, if done right, can be better than regular French fries. I agree with you on that. I think yeah. that sometimes they're also though they're a little too soggy. Yes, that's the risk with the sweet potato. People you make them so soggy. I don't well. know why. Yeah, gotta have the potatoes crisp when on the French fries. Um, I I had a French food earlier this week. Snow Princess and I went out to dinner. I had a French food. And I got, the French fries were completely excessive. Like, and you know, there's another thousand calories I did not need to add into that meal. But uh, they were worth it. I don't even care. They were fantastic. But this then reminds me of what I had to tell producer Mark before, which is I finally got uh, my set of kettlebells. I'm going to start doing some strength training again because I feel like the gym is never going to open. I'm just the gym is never going to open. We got morons like Cuomo in charge. You're never going to, you know, think about it. You could set it up so that gyms have a staggered schedule. So you get open all the windows, open all the doors. I'm talking about especially private gyms and, and buildings, which is very common in housing complexes in New York now. Open everything up and have one or two people in the gym at a time. And, you know, you get one hour in the gym, two people. At least you could get in the gym sometime. 
But no, they're never going to, they never want to open up gyms. That's the last thing. And, you know, it's just, it's driving me nuts. But I, I got my, uh, my kettlebells and they're in a cardboard box. And it was pretty classic because when I went to pick up my kettlebells that were still in their packaging that had, they had been shipped to me in, I managed to hurt my back. That's how, that's how weak I've gotten in the last four or five months. I mean, to be fair, you had to have known it was a heavy box. Oh, no, I know, but my body has had no real training of, of any strength of any kind uh, for... Fair. I mean, I, I, was, I was getting up to a personal record in the deadlift in late January, and that's all gone. That's all gone. Deadlifting, gone. I mean, I'm going to have to be one of these people that's deadlifting just with, like, the little uh, plastic tube, you know, that you practice with. I got to go back to doing that just so my body gets used to the motion. So, yeah, I went from actually throwing some decent weight around for a for a young lad to, uh, you know, now, man, I I hurt my back accepting my workout equipment from the package room. That's how it went. I mean, sad, really. I I can attest that I also injure myself around the house. Because I don't work yeah. out anymore. I was getting really strong, just like you before the wedding. I was working with yeah. my friend, the personal Dude, trainer. You look good at the wedding. Yeah, I, you know, you you were you were uh, you were doing some healthy living before the wedding. Yeah. I saw, you know, I saw, and and well, you know, now, man, then in the quarantine fifteen, I pick up Tallulah, who is just a little chub. I mean, you know, she's beautiful. I love her, but you know, she weighs in at like a solid thirty thirty plus pounds now. And she likes to be, she's a little spoiled. So whenever she wants to get up on a couch or a chair or a bed or whatever, she makes a little noise and I have to lift her up. And if I don't, she'll just keep making the noise. So she goes, she like, she doesn't bark. She does that. She kind of does this weird yodel thing. And I'm telling you, I used to be able to like one handed lift up that furry little chub and it was fine. And now I got to like, you know, bend at the hips and get the quads engaged and just, you know, the whole thing. It's not good. That it's could be good it. exercise. Just lift the dog up and down. Yeah, that's... She'd I mean, probably that's, like it, too. That's the most exercise I, I get these days. I prefer when she just lies on my belly and takes a nap, though. But, yeah, that's her, that's the best. But, nonetheless, this is where we're at, folks. Not allowed to go to gyms. Not allowed to live our lives because people are terrified because Democrats want to be back in power. I mean, I'm starting to feel like a lot of, a lot of people are just going to want to vote for Democrats just so they stop taking our lives hostage. Just so they just so they let us have our lives back. Like, well, we can handle a Biden presidency if you just give us our lives back. I worry that that becomes the mentality. I really think that that's that's going to be a thing. I think it's going to be a thing. Not not a good thing, but a thing. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for roll call. All right, everybody. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you also please get a chance, go to BuckSexton.com. I'm going to be doing a uh, uh, an editorial that'll go up later today, hopefully. Latest probably tomorrow. And also look out for the Buck Brief, which will be up on your Facebook feed. And the best thing you can do for me on that one is share the Buck Brief to your page. 
It's uh, like a four-minute version of this whole show. That's that's how we roll. That's how we do it. Um, and with that, well, before I get to the roll call stuff, producer Mark, what are your weekend plans, sir? What do you got going on? Uh, nothing. But it's going to be like 90 degrees. Yeah. Where right. am I going to go? Mm. Everyone else is going to go to the beach. I don't want to go to the beach. I mean, the beach is the beach is going to be crowded. How yeah. far is the Jersey Shore from where you are? Uh, we're about an hour. That's not terrible. Not terrible. I would make a drive, but I know they're limiting the amount of people on the beach and all that stuff. Oh, so. they are. See, you're you're under. It's funny. We're we're not far from each other as the crow flies, but you're under Jersey rules. I'm under New York rules, yeah. and it's different. I, I mean, I think beaches pretty much everywhere are doing that. I know they're doing that on Long Island as well. So I don't want to risk either I have to get up at six in the morning and drive down or I risk going at a normal time and then not being able to go on the beach. It's it's like no fun is allowed. You know, that's really this. This virus means that people are allowed to say you're just not allowed to have fun. Yeah, that's that's where we are. Not allowed to enjoy yourself. This is the anti joy uh, lockdown. That's for sure. Anything that's fun is not, not allowed to do it. Um. Anyway, there we go. Uh, well, I'm, I'm planning to do, uh, I don't know, probably rest my back. I'm going to order some Chinese food and watch Very some nice. Netflix and hang out with Tallulah and Snow Princess. And that's kind of what I got. So there we go. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do, except without the dog. Yeah, good call. All right. Michael writes in. Hello, Buck and uh, producer Mark caught your podcast with a need for new buzzwords for the right and left and had two in mind for all the lefty organizations. I will now call them my favorite word from the 60s, pinkos. It has a soft and mushy connotation, and us Gen Xers and older should still remember that all that it refers to. Deliver it with a smirk and say pinkos heh, enough times, and they should hopefully lose their confidence. For real right-wingers, let's call ourselves eagles. What other American icon can hunt, scrounge, have solid families, soar, and come back from almost certain extinction while looking amazing, doing anything, shields high. Well, there's a lot of creativity and thought put into this, to be sure. Um, I, I, you know, Pinko, I, I prefer Kami, but Pinko is, that's another way of saying the same thing, I suppose. And the problem with saying, with calling ourselves Eagles, is that for producer Mark, that conjures up his hated football team. Yes, can't do that. So You don't want to be associated with filth. You know, that's, that, that's our only problem with that. As much as I may love bald eagles, um, they're amazing. You ever seen one, producer Mark? Actually, in uh, in the wild, in person? No, I have not. Oh, they're they've made a they've made a big comeback. Uh, they're in a lot more places across the country than they used to be. So you can see them. Um, I think there are there are some in New York State now too. You do have bald eagles uh, up north, I believe. I believe. Doug, Doug writes, "Hello, Buck. We've watched the Waco." Ruby Ridge, Unabomber, Epstein, Roger Stone, and Richard Jewell documentaries, some on your advice, and have lived through Crossfire Hurricane and the Mueller sagas. Now, why is it, again, the FBI is held in such high esteem? Doug, the FBI has made some very big mistakes, and uh, there's no getting around that. The FBI has made some very big mistakes. I have seen the Epstein and... Ruby, no, I've seen the Epstein and Waco documentaries. I've not seen Richard Jewell, the movie. Have you seen that one? I have not. I actually kind of want to watch that. I hear it's quite good. So I will, I will check that out. 
Movies that I've watched recently that I'd never seen before. I watched uh, The Firm with my little sister, which is which is kind of long, but it's a very good movie for what it is. You know that one? 90s film? No. You were over my head with these movies. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I know you were an infant when this stuff was happening. So uh, The Firm is good. And then there's also uh, I saw Glengarry Glen Ross, which I had never seen before, which is a classic. It's pretty good. It drags a little bit, but it's pretty good for what it is. Everyone just remembers the like opening scene or the opening sequence pretty much where Alec Baldwin comes in and he's like, you know, what you need to sell real estate. And he holds up two brass objects that are spherical. That's I think all I can say on the radio. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's what I would say from Glengarry Glenn Ross. I'm trying to think of a good movie to watch this weekend. The Formula One documentary on Netflix. Bruce and Mark, have you seen that? I didn't know there was one. It's not a. It's a series. It's not even a documentary. It's a series. F one. You should. It's. I'm not even a car guy. It's amazing. Do they uh, drive left a lot? No, 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 no. Formula One is way different than uh, than NASCAR. What do they make a couple right turns? Wow, look at you. <laughs> are, are the, the NASCAR watchers in our audience are very upset with Salty Mark. That's right all now. right. Yeah, you're you're not a NASCAR fan, or no. apparently a racing fan of any kind. It's better than bicycle racing. Like I feel like it would be cool to do. Like if I could drive the car, that'd be cool. But what am I watching it for? Yeah, going 200 miles an hour would be pretty pretty interesting. 200 miles an hour is uh is fast. So there's that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, roll call continues. We got a, a late addition into our movie watching for the weekend. Uh, a suggestion from producer Nick Burn After Reading by the Coen Brothers. He says, I'll like it. Uh, producer Mark, are the Coen Brothers the guys who did The Big Lebowski? They did. Uh, they've also done some other stuff. No Country for Old Men was them. Fargo was them. They have a bunch of uh, big movies. Interesting. I, I, might, I might be down to check out. That's a Clooney film, right? Yeah, I, I might be, or is it Brad Pitt, or maybe it's both. I it is Clooney and Malkovich, Francis okay. McNorman. I see. I did. Oh, Brad the Big Pitt's Lebowski, in it as well. You're right. Brad Pitt's there. Yeah, there we go. The Big Lebowski is one of those films where I liked it. Uh, yeah, Clooney, Pitt, and Malkovich all in uh, Burn After Reading. I liked The Big Lebowski be- the more I saw it. Actually, I saw it uh, the first time. I was like, "This movie's weird." And then I saw it again, and then I saw it again, and I thought it was really good the more I saw it. Like, there, I appreciated aspects of it more when I saw it again, uh, which I find is very rare. Whereas there are other movies that I go back and watch, and I'm just like, I cannot believe I liked this movie when I saw it. And producer Nick says his favorite of all time is Lebowski, so that, that makes sense. Um, I will say that in the past, in my dating life, I've found it, uh, I've found it to be a red flag when people, uh, when, when girls... Uh, women, I should say, young women, uh, tell me that their favorite movie is the uh, Wes Anderson stuff. I find that that doesn't work out well for me. <laughs> when when women tell me their favorite movie is the Royal Tenenbaums, I don't know. I'm just saying it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked out in the past. It hasn't worked out in the past. So. I don't even know what that is. The Royal Tenenbaums? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a uh, never heard of it. Wes Anderson is movie for is like is is a filmmaker for people. Who really like pretentious garbage? <laughs> Just say it. If you like pretentious garbage, 
Wes Anderson is is your guy. Um, I'm trying to think of who. Like, I'll give you a quick listing of some of the uh, Wes Anderson films. Like, so I, I know that he's done he's done Royal Tenenbaums. He's also done um, Moonrise Kingdom, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Those are some of those are are somewhat watchable. But overall, like I said, Wes Anderson movies I find um, pretentious, so not a fan. I'm all, but then again, everyone hates me because I think that uh, I think that Tarantino is is the most overrated person since Bruce Springsteen, who's the most overrated person since John Lennon, who's the you know I go back in time. So. Lennon, really? Oh my! That's, what do you I like? I want more. I want more angry messages in our in our inbox for roll Wait, calls. Are you so. the like one person in the world that doesn't like the Beatles? I the Beatles. It's hit and miss for me. Ugh. It's it's hit and miss for me. You know, there's some things that I like and some things that I don't. Um, wait, am I? Hold on a second. The Royal Tenenbaums. Am I? Am I giving the wrong? That can't be. No, it's uh. Wait, it's is it Wes Anderson? Yes, Wes Anderson. Yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible. As I thought, as I thought. All right, back into roll call, sir. I got, I got, but I digress. Uh, I got back into it here. All right. Doug, oh, no, Doug already, we talked to Doug. Brian, hey, Buck, I appreciate the shout out to truckers today. I love the show. Great company on the road. Both you and producer Mark. Shields high, brothers. Brian, we are honored to keep you company as you keep America supplied and fed by uh, staying on the roads. Stay safe, my man. Shields high. Thank you so much for writing in. We appreciate it. Um, you know, I remember someone explained once what the special, what the special horn is that when I was a kid, I used to ask the truckers to pull down. But you know, the air horn. Fun. Yeah, the air horn. That was always a fun one. Uh, Paige, greetings from the sane part of California. Devin Nunes is my representative. The school district my daughters attend voted last night to hold in-person class five days a week when school begins in August. It should be noted their teachers, although it's a public school, are non-union and the students outperform all surrounding districts in every area and are one of the top districts in the country. The neighboring district ranks at the bottom second or third in the nation and their teachers union is making demands and basically claiming it's not safe to return in the fall. Do you think we will ever be able to get rid of these public sector unions that cause so much damage to budgets and now kids? Thank you so much for all that you and Mark do. I look forward to listening to your podcast every day. Paige, thank you for writing in. We really appreciate it. Glad you're able to find a sane and red or at least reddish part of California to live in. And as for getting rid of teachers unions, I cannot tell a lie. No, you will. You will not get rid of teachers unions. It's not going to happen. Too much power, too much, uh, too much sway. And they're they're deeply, deeply entrenched in our politics because they'll put these uh, union reps on TV. You just go. It's just about the children. We just want to protect and educate the children. Teachers just want to teach. It's like it's like this endless propaganda campaign of all teachers are great. Anyone who has a problem with teachers is horrible. You know, yada, yada. Mm-mm, not good not good um so yeah Paige, i don't think you're gonna get rid of them anytime soon i wish i could say otherwise but i i speak the truth to you uh, but I'm, I'm happy to hear that your school district 
is going to be uh, up and running. But I wouldn't be surprised if the governor in California tried some kind of an executive order. I know they're in some states shutting down private schools, too. So even if it's a private institution that wants to be operating, they're saying, no, you're not allowed to open your school. Not allowed. Not allowed. Imagine that. Imagine what would happen. You're going to see more of this, too. If the public schools were closed, but private schools, parochial schools, religious schools opened up in the same county, the same district. And it turns out that there was no big spike in cases in those schools. Meanwhile, the public schools expect their teachers to get paid, all the budgets to be met, to do Zoom learning or whatever. Folks do not want the people that are advocating for the most extreme measures do not want there to be any control group. They don't want there to be any. That's the only kind of control they don't want is a control group. They don't want there to be any way to test out the thesis that they're making us all uh, react to and respond to. Um, They don't want to be proven wrong, essentially. They don't want there to be a possibility that we'll see that what they've been telling us is not true. Kyle. Hey, Buck, no doubt you've seen the media bias chart occasionally show up in your social feed posted by fans of the fully objective and not at all biased CNN crowd. My question for you is this. How can us conservatives deconstruct and point out any folly when responding to this nonsense? I'm assuming this chart doesn't account for the leftists continually normalizing things that were out of bounds mere years ago while labeling conservative media the extremists for not progressing along with them. I'd love to hear how you would discredit this chart and how to communicate that to others. Um, I don't think I have seen the specific, uh, Kyle, the specific media bias chart that you're referring to. So I've got I got to find that. But remember this, the, the central premise of the media libs is that they're not biased. They're just on the side of truth. They, do, they don't see that distinction. This is now the this is the common refrain among journalists that even in being anti-Trump, criticizing him, they'll say, well, we have to criticize him because of his lies. That is being a journalist. And then you say, well, what about other politicians lies? And then it just it does not compute and they shriek and shout and you know yell at you and everything else. So uh, so there you have it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would say that's that's the case. Uh, I, I don't know about this specific chart, though. I would have to check that out. I'd have to find it. Gina. Hi, Buck. So Colorado Democrat governor just declared Colorado a mandatory mask state. No local variances. His words. I assume that means local jurisdictions can't decide to override this executive order. Serious question. How is this constitutional? We have many counties here that are 100 percent behind constitutional freedoms. Many local governments have opened up business well before our mighty king in residence has approved. If he can do this, how soon before his executive order takes away our Second Amendment? Very disturbing, but we knew it all along. Shields, very high, Buck. Gina, fantastic question and message. And you're right. I've been asking the same question before you even wrote in. Uh, what are the limits to this new authority? How is this constitutional? How could anyone accept this and think that's a, that's a good idea? And yeah, what if they want to take your guns away under a public health emergency because of gun violence? You'd say, but guns are not a hell. Oh, nope. They're going to say people are dying. It's a thing. We got to Sorry. Got to override your rights. Rights still matter even during a pandemic. This is the 
this is the point of the conservative uh, the conservative response that I, I don't think we're hearing loudly enough and from enough people. Rights do not go away just because some people are scared. It's not how this works. That's not how we operate. Uh, I just I, I wish I wish there was more understanding of this. I'm trying, folks. I'm trying. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call before we all go off to our weekends. My friends, want to make sure we get in your voices here and uh, we get to hear from all of you. Let's get to Justin, who writes, good day. Wait, no, actually, I skipped Andy. I'm sorry. Pardon me. Justin, we'll get to you. I promise. Andy. Hey, Buck and producer Mark. So about three weeks ago, you said about this riot, there will be an act of violence that will just go way too far. The media will claim it's not part of the BLM group and the mayors will have to make a decision. Well, I'm wondering if people beating the police with pipes at a peace march is going too far. To add insult to injury, the person was let out with no bail. I've heard you and others say it. How and why the hell are police still patrolling in these cities? I would put in my retirement papers and work private security. When your mayor hates you, your life is miserable. Shields high. Um, yes, Andy, I, I, I don't I was thinking more along, more along the lines of um, an, an act of violence. Unfortunately, that would be that would be fatal. Will there be fatalities? But certainly the violence has gotten to the point now where people are seeing. I think they're seeing BLM more for what it really is now and an understanding that this is not a movement that helps people. This does not make things better. As I've been telling you, BLM is a movement that makes everything worse for everyone. Nothing gets better because of this. This does not improve anything. We need to be very honest about that. Um, so, yeah. Justin, good day, Freedom Heart. Oh, good day, Justin. Hello, good sir, Mr. Justin. First things first, tennis is not a real sport, and Chipotle is not real Mexican food. Whoa, whoa, Justin. Don't come at my Chipotle. Yeah, I mean, producer Mark, you try to pull this Chipotle away, you may lose a hand. I mean, it might not be real Mexican food, but it's delicious. I could eat every meal from Chipotle and be happy. I had a, I, many years ago, this is a true story, I had a roommate, a guy who's a friend of mine, who ate Chipotle, I'm not kidding, every night for dinner. Every single night I lived yeah. with this guy, unless we went out to dinner for, you know, went out to a party or something, he had Chipotle every night. And he actually would not eat the burrito but he would get a burrito and then he would unroll the burrito and just eat the inside filling and that was what he had for dinner why wouldn't he just get a bowl um i do, I, I do not i think he had some theory about it, it like stays more moist if you keep it in the burrito or i don't know you get more food in the bowl Dude, I, dude, I'm just telling you what this guy did, I and I lived with him, so I saw this every. You day. can actually legitimately. And he, he might. He if he heard this radio broadcast, I'm not obviously naming him. He might kill me if he heard me <laughs> telling you. He got. I told one person in front of him once that this was going on. I thought it was funny. He did not find it funny. Well, hopefully he, he doesn't listen it. to the show. But nah, there are people like my trainer said. You can eat Chipotle every day as long as you get the right stuff. Really? Yeah, you get brown rice, and you don't get all the extra crap. Yeah. Hmm? But the extra crap tastes so good. I agree with you, but still. Yeah. And tennis is a real sport, Justin. No, it's not. <sighs> you guys are the worst. 
Next, where's the Malta podcast? You've been teasing us for a month. Producer Mark, get after Mr. Swoop. We want Malta. P.S. I imagine Mark as Grumpy Cat personified. How accurate is that assessment, Buck? All right, we got a lot. We got a lot to work with here. First of all, I know, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm derelict on the Malta podcast, but I'm working my my butt off. I need all of you to continue to uh, follow me on Instagram because we're going to start doing Instagram live videos, including Instagram live where we have, uh, uh, you know, guest appearances by Tallulah and maybe some other fun folks. Uh, so if you're not already following me on Instagram, please do. We're going to be putting a lot more content there. And I also need our, our podcast to to continue to grow, which means I need you to pass the buck. As those things happen, there was more time for me to do things like the multi podcast. But I agree, it needs to happen. Look, I'll do it, and you know, people will like it or they won't like it, and it's fine. You know, you still you'll still have this show to listen to whenever we release it. But it's going to happen. As for Mark as Grumpy Cat, well, let's ask Mister Grumpy Cat himself. Are you like a grumpy cat, Mister Grumpy Cat? Well, I do not like cats, the animals. I'm not a big fan. Um, but the comparison to Grumpy Cat has been made before. There you I have it. a very great friend group, but they're also a very mean friend group. <laughs> oh, man. Producer Mark, Grumpy Cat. There you have it. He's, a, he's an honest man, folks. Though I like the Mr. Swoop nickname. Mr. Swoop? Yeah. yeah. That's fun. Grumpy Cat, Grump, Grumpy Cat and Mr. Swoop would be like our after-hours special where we're drinking and yeah. like making inappropriate That's jokes. A, it sounds like a comic book title. Grumpy Cat and Mr. Swoop. We can make that work. Um, Mitch writes, Hey, Buck, I love listening to you, Bruce and Mark. Just want to say, whenever I hear AOC open her mouth, I automatically think I'm back in high school listening to someone campaigning for class president. She sounds so juvenile and ignorant. I'm always expecting the next words out of her mouth to be, there will be no more homework and longer lunches. Keep up the good work, Buck. You are neck and neck with Rush. I never miss either of you. I try to spread the word to uh, spread the buck to everyone I know here in AZ. Shields high. Mitch, you're the man. Thank you so much. Passing the buck is the most helpful, most wonderful thing you can do for us. So please continue to do that. Remember, iHeart app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We have uh, every day of the show going up there. And we have new stuff in store for you, too. Please also do follow me on Instagram. We're going to be putting a lot more political content on Instagram going forward. So... Get ready for that. And uh, BuckSexton.com, uh, check it out this weekend. I'll have a story up there. Um, let's see. Speaking of Instagram, Andrea writes, Buck, my husband's a longtime listener. He got me listening, too, recently. He's an EOD tech in the Army. He's stationed in Alaska. When he heard you mention EOD tech on your show, he got so excited. Well, thank you so much, Andrea. Tell him thank you for what he did. He's awesome. He's a real badass. I just do radio. Uh, but thanks for listening and thanks for tuning in. Uh, team, that's going to be the show for today. Remember, BuckSexton.com. Follow me at BuckSexton on Instagram. Uh, we will be back with you Monday, usual time and place, especially these days, my friends. Shields high.